Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the breakfast huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. It is time now for a Washington report where we turn our attention to headlines coming out of the U.S. We're talking about highlights from U.S. President Joe Biden's Soul of the Nation address to the Biden administration saying that it'll keep tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars worth of Chinese imports in place for the time being, at least. Let's get some analysis on these headlines and more from Curtis Chin, Senior Asia Fellow of the Milken Institute. Good morning, Curtis. How are you? Hey, good morning to you. Good morning from Cambodia. Ah, yes. I've been following you on Instagram. You've been traveling a lot, Bali. So now you're in Cambodia. Very nice. Yeah. Well, you know, Bali, although it was fun, was also a little bit of work with the G20. And <laughs> I'm here for part of the pre-ASEAN summit uh, goings on. There's actually something terrific happening here, which you know, I want to flag to your listeners. You know, the Cambodian uh, government is hosting, of course, ASEAN this year. And it's so great to see actually Singapore represented here today also. But this week's event is really an international conference on the protection of cultural property and the prevention of illicit trafficking in cultural properties. So that's all that terrible wow. looting that sometimes we hear about, which, of course, is throughout the region, uh, sadly. So here for that. But, yeah, delighted to talk to you and share some perspectives mm. on President mm. Biden's uh, recent Soul of the Nation uh, address, uh, at least perspectives from here in ASEAN also. I know. And what an interesting name, Soul of the Nation address. In your opinion, why did President Biden see the need for such an address to happen? Well, clearly, I don't know if you followed the earlier campaign, that Soul of the Nation just actually goes back to what he said was the premise uh, of his run for office, the battle for the soul of the nation, after the terrible racist incidents in America. In this particular case, uh, it happened in my home state of Virginia, in Charlottesville. So clearly, with all that has happened, you know, really since what I call an insurrection, you know, against the uh, U.S. Capitol, to more recent happenings in our country, United States, you know, so part of that, it's really a, the struggle, the fight to ensure that America's democracy continues onward. So that's part of it. But again, I think we have to look at the reality that this is a political year. Um, And so his speech came at really, I think it's eight or nine weeks before our very important midterm elections in the United States, or I think it's the 9th of November this year, Mm. where his party, the Democratic Party, might well lose the House. It seems like they might hang on to the United States Senate, but they may well use the House of Representatives. So one, there's a very legitimate point he is making about the fight for democracy, ensuring that we conserve it, that we protect it. But I think the reality that it was very much also a political speech. Mm. So, so it's those two things coming together, you know, mm-hmm. something he truly believes in, but also the battle for really his legacy and his presidency. Clearly, if he loses uh, the United States Congress, everything will be stymied going forward in terms of new legislation and kind of, you know, some of the things he wants to get done yeah. uh, his last two years of this presidency. Actually, to be fair, I mean, when you take a look back at the past two years in terms of legislation, passing bills and whatnot, it has gone at a very smooth and fast speed. Uh, we talk about uh, COVID aid or even aid to Ukraine, for that matter. Curtis, in your opinion, uh, what were some key takeaways from the speech? And then drawing back to the point you brought up earlier, how does that play out as he heads into the midterms? I mean, what did the Democrats' chances look like? Well, first, I would say that it hasn't necessarily been so smooth, you yeah. know, uh, okay. we described the legislation that's taken place. And, you know, what I was struck by, I read the speech, you know, and I took away, it was kind of a split speech. And I would say people who liked Biden or opposed Biden and were kind of indifferent, I don't think that speech would necessarily change their views of him. 
Mm-hmm. And so clearly some Democrats loved it. Clearly Republicans, some Republicans hated it. But for me, what was most telling was kind of what you would think People like you, the independent journalists, what they said. Mm. And I was so struck by the main broadcast networks in America, ABC, CBS, and NBC, refusing to air the speech. Right. They said it was a political speech. They would not air it. So clearly Republicans and Democrats may well say what they're going to say, but I was struck by the judgment of our mainstream media. And even the Washington Post, which I'm sure you know, if you follow what Donald Trump is always saying, is no friend of him came out with an editorial Mm -hmm. that said that Biden missed his mark, that in making the key point about the need to defend democracy, really he turned to partisanship. And really for me, somewhat disappointed in that. Uh, Were clearly terrific points he made, but undercut by, in a way, the style, how he delivered those remarks. You know, for me, the most telling line when I, you know, I reread through the speech this morning before getting on air with you was he directly attacked President Trump and what he called the MAGA Republicans. And MAGA is going to make America great again. Mm. And so thus you see a lot of commentary from people saying, well, he's lumping everyone together. And is this how you unite a nation? I mean, Mm. keep in mind, if you go back to our election of two years ago, you know, Biden won uh, the election with some 81 million votes, you know, amazing number, right? 51% of votes cast or the most ever of any winning candidate. But at the same time, Trump won 74 million votes, or something like 46, 47%. And that was the most cast ever, except for what Biden just got. And remember, uh, Trump ran on a MAGA, Make America Great Again campaign. And so is President Biden saying those 74 million really are the problem? And so actually, I mean, to his credit, he stepped back. He said, no, no, I'm talking about the extremists, Mm -hmm. uh, the extreme MAGAs. But how does one differentiate, you know? And I think that's where we go back to, sadly, to the world of partisanship. You know, it's all about the definitions. What is a MAGA Republican who's a good one versus a bad one? And I think back, you know, I spent a lot of time in Singapore, you know, uh, with the Milken Institute. I remember when uh, President Biden declined to invite Singapore to a summit of democracy. And that goes back to, well, who are you to define democracy? Who are you to define what is a MAGA Republican? So that's unfortunate because he had some terrific points that he was reinforcing with his remarks. But again, looking at that reaction, you know, from uh, Washington and from the United States, I don't think the speech really changed anything, sadly. Mm. And so, you know, the weeks will continue to go forward. You know, you had mentioned his legislation. It was an opportunity for the U.S. president to flag actually pieces of legislation like infrastructure where indeed Republicans joined with him. Mm. But when you look at what he said, it was look at all the great legislation I'm achieving without really in a way thanking those Republicans, which I think would be the mainstream ones, that joined with him. and his party. Yeah. I think uh, just to clarify what I meant by legislation moving smoothly is I can't help but think it could have gone a whole lot worse, especially in previous administrations. But hey, um, you bring up some really, really good points. I do want to move on to this issue about how the Biden administration said it would keep tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars worth of Chinese imports in place for the time being. This is a bit of a reverse action because when this was brought up, it was a claim that it could help with the inflation picture. What are your thoughts on this? Well, when it goes back to even our first you know, topic this morning in terms of the context of the president's speech, 
it's all about domestic politics. And mm. it's no different in the United States or China. You know, China's leadership, the U.S. leadership, you know, they're focused on, you know, their fellow citizens. So in this case, we have a major election happening in eight weeks in the United States. And this is not a time for President Biden to be seen in a way as weak uh, on China, just like right. uh, Xi Jinping goes towards his unprecedented third term uh, as leader in China. It's not a time for him to be seen as weak at a time when the Chinese economy is struggling. Mm. So in this case, there is actually one few area of bipartisan consensus in Washington, which is about China, which is that the U.S. needs to do more to stand up and address what some are calling the China challenge. So, you know, that's very understandable. When you talk about for the time being, what is the time being? Yeah. Does that mean <laughs> until after uh, the elections are done? And so that's how I look at that. But also the reality, you know, living as I do in uh, Southeast Asia, I meet so many Southeast Asian CEOs and government officials who are say to me, oh, actually, we like Trump's policy towards China. Mm. We just did not like his style. Mm. But yes, indeed, the things that Trump called out about China's behavior, we as Southeast Asian CEOs, as business people, have those same concerns. Is China behaving appropriately when we talk about bipartisanship and trade being mutually beneficial uh, here in Asia? So I remember there was one survey by an Australian think tank that really looked at attitudes in uh, Asia, a lot of Southeast Asian nations, towards uh, China, and they weren't so positive either, right? Uh, And so I think when we look at the China issue, Biden and his team recognize that also, Mm, that a mm. tough stance towards China is a popular stance. And it may well be the same case in China, where a tough stance in the United States is a popular stance. So I think we need to look at the timing and the political context as to whether indeed the U.S. will move back on tariffs. But you also made an important point about the challenge that is inflation. Yeah. There were some people saying, oh, these tariffs add to the U.S. inflation. I think the reality that Inflation itself has become political. So the most Mm, recent piece of legislation that passed in Washington when our West Virginia uh, senator, who's a Democrat, decided to actually join with the Democrats, that actually finally led to really a Democrat-only piece of legislation moving forward because Senator Manchin uh, joined in. And so it's that kind of context, how things finally get done. It's a lot of backroom dealing. I think West Virginia benefited in that last piece of legislation, which a lot dealt uh, with climate, Mm. but it was packaged as anti-inflation bill, Mm. which even our nonpartisan, you know, people that look at the budget, congressional budget says, actually, we're not so sure that this will actually help with inflation. That doesn't detract from what it will accomplish, but it was sold as an anti-inflation measure. So likewise, when we talk about removing tariffs, you know, uh, will it indeed really impact inflation? That's another uh, issue. All right. Been speaking with Curtis Chin, Senior Asia Fellow for the Milken Institute. Curtis, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.